You are listening to a Geek Network interview. Be sure to hit the follow button to get notified when a new episode is available. You can also visit us at geek-network.com for your guide to the geek entertainment news you love. Created for geeks, by geeks, and remember to always geek responsibly. Hello, everyone. My name is Daniel, your host here with Fandom Sessions. I am very lucky and really happy to have this guest on here. Today, we are speaking to Alex Ross. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. And you have no idea how ecstatic I am to be able to talk to you today. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to hear it. I'm a big fan. First and foremost, before we jump in, really just want to go ahead and ask. It's been a big question. Uh, I know we can find this online, but... How did you actually get started off with comics and drawing? Like as a (laughs) (laughs) three-year-old? I mean, how did you eventually get into what you're doing now with everything involved in comics? How did all that start? I know you said three-year-old, but what really kicked it off for you? I mean, if I if I take it by uh, by the rate of how long I've been drawing comics, just not necessarily ones that are published, it's been 50 years for me as a professional, <laughs> but not as a professional. No, as uh, working the business, it's been uh, since 1989 when I got out of art school. I went to a place in Chicago called the American Academy of Art, and I was kind of hooked up through friends with a local comic book company that had a job available. Mm -hmm. which was ultimately just fitting my yearnings to get into the field. And I would have taken almost anything at that point. And it just happened to be a Terminator comic. So this was meant to be sort of a coda kind of impression of the one Terminator film that existed at that time. And we had no expectation there would be any more. It was 1989. Mm -hmm. It was only, what, five years after the film had come out or three years, whatever it was. So ultimately, I was... um, doing what I thought was the only sequel you would ever see of that product that I liked very much. And, you know, being introduced to uh, that company led to, you know, as soon as you're published, you do get a certain amount of recognition that can lead to the next job. And because people saw that you performed one task, you probably can do another successfully (laughs) and so on. And then I I wanted to do uh, something to get the foot in the door of publishing so that I could either pitch to that publisher or to any others. Uh, projects, which right as soon as I was done working on this Terminator series called Terminator of the Burning Earth, I started working up my pitch for a Marvel project that was meant to be sort of an upscale Marvel anthology, not knowing what full shape it would take. They, they had some anthologies at the time, and I just thought they could use a painted one focused around their own IP characters, like all the stuff that I would wind up getting associated with. But I was wanting to prove that you could take all this stuff as seriously as you could make it look realistically. And there was a few examples of that. There's the work of Bill Sienkiewicz with Electra Assassin. There's the series about Wolverine and Havoc called Meltdown. And then ultimately the stuff that Dave McKean had done over at DC with first Black Orchid and then Arkham Asylum, those things were sort of all stepping stones to breaking through with more painted product happening. But all those are much more avant-garde than the way I approach art. And mm-hmm. my style is obviously much more, um, you know, traditional American illustration. I get that is one way of putting it, but your art is just so realistic. You really make every character, every panel just pop out at you and it's eye catching. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's mesmerizing. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I should argue with that? <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, I'm just complimenting your work. I appreciate you saying that. Because I have admired your work. I am one of the type of readers that will, basically the artwork will turn me off from the story, but mm. I've never had that issue with you because it's just so high-popping. It just grabs your attention naturally. How long does it typically take for you to actually come up with a panel or a character design? Because there's so much detail that goes into everything you do. Character design could be any amount of time. It could be as quick as it came to your mind and then you articulate it or you've got a complicated design that demands a lot of additional drawings, not just one, to either work out the concept or, you know, give other people... Say I recently designed a suit of armor for Iron Man, the one he's currently wearing. Mm. And I did multiple drawings, not just the turnaround of the figure, but many different angles, views on the Iron Man suit, the helmet, all these kind of things that they can pass along to the multiple artists that will be drawing it. So, you know, that could be many hours versus, say, a drawing that took me one hour to do. But uh, <laughs> as far as like, uh, you know, planning for my storytelling and, and my pages, I do tight thumbnails of everything. So these smaller drawings that are about, you know, four by five inches, they get done anywhere between a few hours worth of time, just because you're, you're complicating, you're, you're beginning to figure out the complicated language of storytelling and depending upon how detailed that stuff is, it's a lot of thought going into that. What I normally do with a lot of my work today is covers. And so one of those designs could be knocked out as a design in an hour. In terms of the actual painting, it could be a day, two days, three days, depending on how many elements are in the painting, you know, how complex mm -hmm. it looks, usually depending on the number of figures they're in. And you've done both sides of the coin. So you have written comics. Uh, you've also illustrated for comics, drawn the comics. So what is uh, the biggest challenge for you? And which one do you prefer, writing or uh, illustrating and drawing for comics? I would definitely illustrating. And that's why I postponed trying to take on the whole job myself for decades, because I saw it as the domain of people who had trained specifically at making their skill level be excellent with writing. So if I can get my ideas in there, I can still get the credit applied to co-creation or co-author status without necessarily having fed them all the lines or the structuring of everything. So uh, amongst my earliest projects, things like Marvels in Kingdom Come, I supplied early structural things that I worked with the authors. And in some cases, I wrote extensive notes and even a full outline for in the case of Kingdom Come before I would meet Mark Wade. I prefer just the execution of the thing. So to me, in a way, the writing is just a step along the way of getting it done. And in my time of having to write entirely my own works, which there's only a couple I've actually written full books for so far, you know, to me, it's almost a means to an end. It's not a lifestyle I would choose to pursue. I, I prefer sitting down and looking at the final product taking shape within a quick period of time. Whereas the writing of a script is going to be so prolonged from when that's written to when those words are then put into lettering. And then, you know, or if it's me as the illustrator, of course, I'm executing all those pages and design. So I'm basically trying to say that I don't really respect the art form of writing. Uh, okay. Boy, that joke is <laughs> not going to be, that's not, <laughs> nobody's going to take that as a joke if you don't laugh at it. So, right. wow. That's uh, <laughs> all right. Well, there's my reputation. So. No, you're good. 
nobody's gonna judge <laughs> and i do have this because you brought that up i do have fantastic four full circle which you wrote and illustrated for what was your whole idea your whole thought process writing this book right here trying to sort of transmit the era of the 60s and Kirby into this thing in a way that people can look at it and see and feel the vibe of that without necessarily my having done a complete recreation of Jack's art style. And I didn't carefully reconstruct the storytelling style other than hopefully being consistent with the voices that have been before. So it's not like I followed an exact roadmap and read every single one of the stories, but more those characters and that storytelling has been part of my life for over 50 years. So I've got that sort of in my DNA. It's it's a go-to that you think of. But as far as doing something that articulates something of the pop era of graphics, I want to do imbue it with, I've not normally done a lot of that. And I certainly haven't done a lot of pen and ink. And I knew the way that this needed to get done to really fully inhabit the era properly and to make a, a different impact was it needed to be Sharp black and white line work with flat colors, not rendered color as we have traditionally and have for the last 30 years. I needed it to be just the pure graphics as close as I could get to it and then having it hopefully fit with my style. And albeit this impression of making a book on the FF was meant to maybe inspire how other people might view the same characters, that they're, they kind of embody a spirit of their times and that that can transfer to now without it necessarily being considered dated. Okay. And I mean, again, your artwork pops, all the colors, the shading, the tones, everything is just really, really great. And I know you're, uh, you just mentioned that you're trying to, you know, do the Jack Kirby thing as well, but also in some panels I did pick up maybe a little bit of not trying to compare it, but Andy Warhol to it as well. And I think that's actually pretty, you know, just with the color design, the color. Yeah, so probably the color I, design. I love it. Yeah, sure. I mean, it, it, that would be right up the right alley of the time period. And he was obviously one of those graphic designers and originators of, you know, the impact graphics that you identify for the time period. Did any other particular artists or graphic design uh, designers inspire your work and led you to where you're at now? Well, in terms of that project, yes. And I was looking at a lot of other people beside Kirby. In fact, a lot of people from the here and now. So that there's a lot of artists working today with the computer as a functional tool of, of how well they can alter their graphics, whether it be by choosing pop art colors and really integrating them in a, in a fabulous way. And since I'm not using a computer, I have to then kind of guide my stuff over to a graphic designer who follows my marker guides to then put these flat colors, whereas people who work through the computer all the time, they can do all these original things that I, I can only try and imitate. Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Aiko is an artist whose work I followed on... Um, let me pull it out here, actually. I have it, uh, yes, on this Nick Fury series for Marvel. I know <laughs> we're not on camera, actually, but uh, <laughs> where I held it up as if everybody could see it. But there was a, a Nick Fury series done by James Robinson and this artist, Aiko, who was a big inspiration for me in doing this work. And I thought, geez, if I could do anything that even comes close to what he accomplished in this series, that's what I'm after. Mm -hmm. With comics going the way they are and modern art going the way it is, have you seen any artistic work or read any comics or seen any comics that remind you sort of your work. I know everybody has their own taste, their own style, but sort of emulates your work in a way. 
Well, I mean, anything to do with realism as a straight connection on that, we have something in common. It doesn't mean those people doing realism are influenced by me. Sometimes they might acknowledge such. And occasionally, if I see people working with water-based media, it's, of course, going to remind us of them being in common shape with me. So I only know if somebody is connected to me if they said so. But I I follow people like, say, uh, Greg Smallwood, who's been working on The Human Target at D.C. And that series itself was a real inspiration for me, even though... even though it started to come out after I was done with my <laughs> my Fantastic Four book. But Greg actually had done a Nick Fury story for an anthology I did with Marvel just a couple of years ago. And so I was already taking some inspiration from his work on that there. There's there's a lot of artists like um, Lieber Mayho, who does just cutting edge stuff with realism. And again, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to give the impression that I only look for realists because then I'd have very <laughs> few comics to buy. You know, abstract art is part of it, too. The cartooning nature of comics is what kind of holds us all in. And so everything can kind of, all those diverging styles can find common overlap. And uh, so I do follow all the realists that come into the field Mm -hmm. just about. But I take a strong look at everything else. And I should refrain from saying what styles I find less exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to make you mention that at all. (laughs) Yeah, because it's not going to wind up like if I say it, then people go, oh, you know, he's right. Wow, I think I'll I'll learn something. No, they're just going to hate me if I said I didn't like a certain thing in a certain way. But, uh, you know, we all have our favorites. (laughs) What has been the hardest storyline to actually illustrate? whether it be DC or Marvel, what was the biggest challenge? Mm. You know, the more reality, the more you have to draw conventional things, places, people, it takes a lot of the fun out of the the kind of gentle absurdity of bringing the fantastic to life. So I can get really excited about bringing a fictional character to life and making them seem real mm-hmm. and juxtaposing them with our reality. But if you remove that fun, colorful character from it and you're just drawing reality which is something where I came from that working world where you had to do illustrations of people just doing things. That was what I came from in uh, advertising, doing storyboards. That's boring. That's not (laughs) what I wanted to spend my adulthood doing. And thankfully, I've only intermittently done it, but I'm also largely responsible for when it's been in my work. Right after I did Kingdom Come back in 1996, I had been... story. Oh, thank you. (laughs) I had been in development of a series called Uncle Sam Mm -hmm. with Vertigo, and that wound up being a bigger dive into parts of American history. So we jumped around through the years as well as we were showing contemporary world stuff. And the only fantastic element was the figure of Uncle Sam himself, who wasn't exactly an overly colorful form. In fact, it was very grounded and he was meant to look like just some homeless guy you'd see on the street. (laughs) But that was a challenge, but it was one that I would still say I feel like I did some of my best work on that series. So it is just the challenge of doing the things that you know are objectively something people can compare against. They can tell whether or not you got a detail of something we all would recognize as real wrong. You know, so if I drew a bad car, I draw a building that looks very sloppy and looks like I don't know what buildings look like. (laughs) People will know right away. Whereas if I make up something fantastic or I'm copying things from fantastic lore and I don't necessarily alter or or amend those things so much to make them extra real, you're still not going to necessarily judge me the same way as you can tell when I screw up uh, the objective reality. Gotcha. 
And you've worked doing multiple covers. Uh, Yvonne actually designed the poster for the 74th Academy Awards. How was that? How did they approach you, the Academy? Uh, how, how did they know you were involved with being an illustrator or uh, an artist? Well, I guess that... I, had enough, I had enough notoriety at the time, I guess. <laughs> so they thought it would have been their core concept to try and treat the Oscar statuette itself like a heroic figure. And so somebody in that process, and in fact, I think it might have been one single person who recommended me, and then he probably educated everybody in their offices at the Academy of my work history and that I was known in that field. And of course, this is 20 some years ago now. It was the 2002 Academy Awards. So it's an old gig. They just wanted somebody who embodied that. And I was kind of the guy at that point. And um, there was multiple takes on it whereby the figure was doing more articulation beyond just standing there with his hands around what I didn't realize that was a sword. Did you realize that was a sword in its hands? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I had to do these poses where like they had directed me, like give him a cape and show him sort of standing with the chest out and, you know, one arm is holding onto the sword and, you know, it was, it was fun stuff, but they wound up kind of wanting to make sure they didn't lose the context of what people should recognize it for. So it was really about the angle I was showing the figure at and um, context, the mm. idea that he's up on a building top and making it sort of seem like Hollywood was a little bit like, um, you know, a downtown New York or Metropolis or something. Yeah. And from that cover too, or from that poster, I should say, it also reminds me of the cover you would see at a playbill if you were to see a Broadway show, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I really enjoy it. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I, I can only look at it critically because I know that, if I had had more reference for what's on the street below the building, it's a real building he's on the top of there. I would have gone in and rendered out each building, but I had none of that. So it was all sort of abstractly blocked out as if it was just some continuation of the color blue and some highlights of lights in the city below. And I feel like it's a terrible cheat. <laughs> a lot of uh, superheroes are based either out of New York, Chicago, also you know, with uh, DC Jump City, which is San translates to San Francisco. You got uh, your Seattle, which would be a Starling City from Arrow. So when it comes to drawing a lot of these superheroes in their hometowns, have you actually visited majority of these places and actually gotten the building structures down to a point since you've been mentioning <laughs> that a lot? <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, in the case of where I did the most of it, where it mattered the most, the uh, specifics would have been Marvel's when it was New York. And at that point that I was working on that series between 1992 through early 1994, I had never been to New York. I went there shortly after the series was finished. So all of my work was done based upon photo books. And I had a handful of them published by Dover that were all black and white photos of mm -hmm. the city and uh, maybe some various things I got from Life magazines that I inherited. But yeah, I, I thought if I could sort of make my way through this with as much kind of distanced matching and also i did have a friend who was from new york who when he went home to visit took pictures for me of the tunnel uh walking through or taking a cab through that connected between new york and queens so that where the main character himself will walk through in the the third issue of that series you had some actual real locations and so i got everything from some really bad Polaroid pictures given to me, which were really blurry. I had to make the best I could from those to eventually the last issue has, oh, geez, which book? It's 
is it the George Washington Bridge? I keep getting this wrong. It's either the Brooklyn or the George Washington Bridge that Gwen Stacy dies on. Oh. Um, <laughs> so so the actual bridge, we got it correctly when we photographed it. My right. friend took the pictures for me following directions I gave so that everything that I illustrated there was accurate to what the bridge, which is unchanged for, you know, practically a century at least, you know, I could I could have that correct there and authentic accuracy and then you know it would still be many years before i would ever walk across it myself wow <laughs> and uh, jackie and i had this same idea you know google earth vacations or just google map you, you can do street view if you want more accurate pictures of of the buildings there if you need to design any more uh design any more uh, cities <laughs> well yeah i mean nowadays not that i would use the computer as quickly as others might i um i know you know you can look up anything anywhere mm-hmm. and of course early 90s not an option yeah, not available <laughs> you know i was going to my local library and looking for what they had there and it was often slim picking so it was benefited mostly by having somebody that actually got a few pictures for me of the real place and and again since then i've been happy to not really been working on any city that was ultra specific since then. So anything I've drawn that would represent either Metropolis or Gotham or, you know, I don't, I don't know if I, I've done, oh, I did do a revisitation to New York City with an anniversary for Marvel Story where we put the story at Rockefeller Plaza. And so I did take new photos of the actual location, but then I did research to actually find out what was there going back in the mid seventies when we were actually documenting the, the space we were at. So, um, you know, it's it's a lot of work and it's stuff that, you know, I want it to look right as if it mm-hmm. is were a movie that was being made. Yeah, definitely. Your, again, your art captures that because it's chef's kiss. It's really <laughs> detailed. <laughs> and Jackie says it's like picking a favorite child, but, you know, working on so many variant covers and they're timeless. Do you have any any specific variant cover that has to be your favorite or a couple of favorites that you've done? Well, I, I would say I don't have any variant, favorite variant under any, I'm, I'm an old guy who looks at this whole variant business as a way to cash in on the customer to make them buy more than one product. <laughs> but um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, but you're saying just in general, a cover of mine that I'm happiest with. Right. You know, I guess I would have to say that of anything that I would be, happiest with would have to be something that I would have kept, you know, so, so much of my work comes in here and then goes right out again. And I don't mm-hmm. keep it forever because it's a lot. I, I you know, like I, I have kept a lot, but I can't keep everything. And uh, so something I would have kept, like I was very happy with the cover design aesthetic for Kingdom Come. And I particularly liked the first issue, even though that's not the one that my dad's on, I kept that first issue cover as a representation of just kind of what that story would symbolize to me. Mm-hmm. Wow. You said your dad is on. So can you explain a little bit more about that? Just that I was able to create a story that happened with my dad as a lead character. And because he was an interesting looking guy and his <laughs> job was interesting. And insofar as it was unusual to be the center of a comic story, I got him in as the minister he was to mm-hmm. to represent Uh, a character who would be thrust into a world of superheroes and objectively coexisting with them. And that was really an inspiration born from working on Marvels, where the protagonist there, being a photographer working in that world, it was so 
engaging and made it feel that much more real. Every fantastic character that appeared in it seemed that much more real by contrast that they were seen through his eyes. So I wanted to do the same thing in a new project with DC, but this time mm-hmm. I'll use my dad. And I got that not just sold as a project. It came out. It did well. It's repeatedly been reprinted over the years. Right. And eventually there was an action figure of my dad. That's awesome. <laughs> and I know that you can read it when you guys do the introduction with the book, but just had to bring it up, you know, bring it up in person conversation. Just have you go into a little bit more detail about that. So sure. thank you. The biggest thing we do have to cover is you do have an event coming up which is a CGC event. So can you give us a little bit more detail about that? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm signing a bunch of books in a hotel room for about four or five days in a row. So that's (laughs) what uh, I believe I'm doing. I I just don't do any events, haven't, for a number of years now. And so this proposed idea has come together. And so Mm -hmm. I'll be taking on, I guess, anything that people want me to sign that they would then get graded and slabbed and all that stuff. I appreciate the idea of treating the published works as a commodity that should be appreciated for all time and somehow freezing them in carbonite is the best way to handle. I don't (laughs) have any, I I got a gift of one years ago. Somebody gave me uh, one of the $6 million man covers I had signed that I had done signed by Lee majors to me, which that's cool. I've got that with the whole graded thing on it and everything, <laughs> but um, otherwise, I'm I'm more of an an old man when it comes to looking at how all this is getting done and not necessarily <laughs> understanding the the future. But uh, <laughs> it it also makes sense. It's just an upgrade of, of bagging and boarding your comics, which I do. Right. So, and the idea that if this can survive the apocalypse, God bless. <laughs> It's a cardinal sin at this point if you don't bag and board your comics. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's such a terrible thing in the way that the comics are made right now on such flimsy paper that your action of reading them winds up destroying them because you hold them long enough, your fingerprints actually embed in a lot of the paper, if not the covers. They're printing. These are self-same covers for a lot of these comics. So the actual interior paper is the cover and it, it it's mind-boggling to me that that's actually become a standard by which they're getting away with publishing things. Not every publisher, right? Just maybe more of the ones I work for, but uh, <laughs> yeah, hate that. Yeah, I mean, is this you know a little bit surreal? Is this like a big blessing that you are getting the opportunity to just sign your art? I know it's repetitive, sign your artwork multiple times, but do you you know do you get some sort of accomplishment feeling from this? <laughs> Oh, boy. Uh. (laughs) The the hard thing about public events is that even though you would think, okay, it's with people, there's those people are all different individuals. But the thing is, the interactions that you largely have are repetitive in a way that is not like a real conversation. It's Mm -hmm. the same conversation with each person. Hi, how are you? Give you the books. Everybody gets their picture taken very rarely does there even get to be an exchange of sentences that are different than those. Mm -hmm. And in the context of a private signing, like I'll be doing with CGC and my agent will be there. There'll be conversation that will last for hours, if not days that at least I know, well, you know, I'm a chatty person as one (laughs) might tell. And so I can enjoy 
a conversation that goes to whatever levels it matures to in the time being. This is nothing anybody else cares about except for me, but you asked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, just with the excitement and reception from fans, I just, you know, wanted to know if that was going to amps it up for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I think the biggest cornerstone of this business is really the getting a chance to create, to, to make the material, to be a fan of the material of which I get all three of those things. And mm -hmm. I don't look for events or a public edifice of like, Hey, I need to go and do this kind of public event signing or presentation or gallery show. That's, that's a sideline for the whole thing. If, if none of that existed, the core thing that's the most special is the same to me. The thing I appreciate the most is the creation of the work and the reading of the work, you know? Mm -hmm. One of the other questions I do have for you is uh, the Eisners. I've uh, been told that, you know, it kind of circles back a bit to uh, the, you know, the uh, the poster that you drew for the Academy Awards. I heard it's basically the uh, Oscars for comic books and getting multiple nominations and multiple Eisner Awards. You know, what what runs through your head? You know, what, was, what, what did you experience? Uh, how are you feeling when you hear like, hey, you're up for, a, you know, an Eisner Award? What was all that going through? <laughs> going through well, all I mean, emotions? honestly, all that's in the rearview mirror for me because I don't know that I've been nominated in much of the last 20 years. The last time I went to San Diego where they gave away the awards mm -hmm. uh, was 20 years ago. And um, and that was when Will Eisner was still there to present, mm -hmm. to, to uh, literally hand people the awards. So I've never had a conversation with the man, but I, I did get a couple of those things from him over time. I know my best experience with regards to an award and an award ceremony was actually the Harvey Awards when they were given away in Dallas, Texas back. For me, it was the first awards thing, first award I ever won um, back in, I guess it was 1995. Is that right? Because, um, I mean, Marvels came out between 93, 94, so it would have been eligible in, I think, 95. Anyway, so I went to this place and... Al Williamson was there in the audience. And if anybody doesn't know who Al Williamson is, then you don't know your Star Wars well enough. <laughs> um, but, you know, he was a real hero of my childhood. And the fact that I got anything while I was there was such a, a sense of, for one thing, I was able to hang out with him later. In fact, I might have had dinner with him if I remember correctly. I know it was hanging out in a bar with him later. <laughs> but um, the idea that, you know, you could you know, you could really feel the sense of like, oh my gosh, I really made it. I mean, I'm getting this thing that I know who Harvey Kurtzman was. I mean, mm -hmm. that's a big deal. This award named for him, just the same as the, the Eisner's name for Will Eisner. I could almost never equal that experience again with the later events that I would have with award shows. And, and that one's very precious to me, that experience of having, uh, and I was treated very well by my hero in the sense that Al Williamson would always rib whoever he met. He would give you a hard time in the most <laughs> loving way. And, um, you know, you feel like you've made it. You're, you're kind of inside this world you always wanted to be a part of. And also, just going to start wrapping things up here, but I do want to go ahead and ask, if you could give your younger self any piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, mm, mm, mm. Boy, I don't want to repeat the whole like line of it gets better, but there is something <laughs> to that idea of, you know, whatever your insecurities are at a younger age, 
don't sweat it. it don't worry. It'll, <laughs> it'll work itself out. And it gets incredibly personal when you start thinking about it in that broad way. So I want to keep it somehow on matters of business and the art form we're here to discuss. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what I would tell my younger self that isn't somehow to do with personal hygiene and appearance as well as personal life. <laughs> you know, the, the tough thing is, is that I had the fortune of a lot of the things that I should have done at the right time happened. With mm -hmm. regards to taking advantage of the opportunities I was given to work in this field, I left at the ones that were presented to me, even if some of them were awkward or and I, I quickly made my own opportunities by beginning my, uh, my process towards my own pitches quickly. And that happened, you know, I was first working up the pitch for Marvels when I was 20 years old. No you know? way. So it jumped right immediately from working on Terminator and thinking, you know what? I'm painting uh, an illustration of the Terminator skeleton walking through a wall of flame. You know what would be cool? Is all the flame in shape of a man, just like from the Human Torch. Can I yeah. take that and make it look good? <laughs> and that inspiration led me to this whole pitch that would eventually put me in the arms of Kurt, Kurt Busick. And then we worked together for you know, a couple other things before we ultimately wound back around with this pitch making its way into Marvel's hands. Either way, the point is basically those things that you want to take advantage of and move in the right direction, aside from various missteps, generally did move in that right direction for me. So the fact that I can still be working in this field 30 years later. And um, yeah, I mean, on that level, I can't tell myself as a younger age, change the way you went about it other than try not to make as many enemies as you might have or be kinder along the way or <laughs> all those sorts of things. That's actually really good advice. So really quickly, I do want to go ahead and uh, give a shout out to your uh, your event coming up. So you can sign up at cgccomics.com. That's where you can sign up for the event and everything. The deadline is April 14th, 2023. So if you want your collection signed by the great Alex Ross, please make sure it's in by that day. Where can you find your social media handles? If you, Again, if you have any. I do. I believe they're all related to my name, but I'm not... Um, you know I don't run any of them, right? You know I'm a Luddite. <laughs> so somebody's running them for you. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't, uh, I don't touch a computer. Even though we are technically talking through a computer <laughs> device, I, I don't type. I've never actually sent an email or a text. My wife will send texts on my behalf, or, or emails on my behalf, not texts. I don't text anybody. So, yeah, I have social media, but it it's not me. I mean, it is me, but it's not me. It's it's not anybody proclaiming, hey, come and talk to me. It's more like, hey, pay attention to whatever this guy has that's coming up image-wise, and here's an image of something <laughs> recent he's done. And that's what my social media is, is to keep me in people's thoughts. Okay. Well, that still works. Uh, all your handles are going to be at Alex Ross. I <laughs> really know. <laughs> I should really know, shouldn't I? I think, I mean, my website has been named Alex Ross Art, but then again, yeah. I uh, is that my name on Facebook? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. I have no idea what my Instagram <laughs> handle is or any of the rest of it and whatever's new that's come up since. I could be on TikTok for all I know. I have no clue. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Let's see. Jackie did say one other thing here. Google Alex Ross and the rest will figure itself out. That's actually Thank true. You. Thank you. <laughs> I was looking up information for uh, the CGC signing and just typed in Alex Ross and like boom, 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 just multiple hits on Google. So 
And occasionally one of those other Alex Rosses will not be me. There's a, there's a few other uses of the name and other gentlemen who <laughs> are, are, are known in their various fields, including a, uh, a New York critic who a uh, music critic. <laughs> so um, we might occasionally get mistaken for each other. <laughs> Alex Ross, uh, realtor in Portland, Oregon, or something like that, too. <laughs> well, or, or football star, as far as I understand. There's at least somebody who's in sports with that name. <laughs> and also, I uh, just want to say you can find me on my socials at Danny across all socials. Uh, you can find this interview and multiple interviews like this one on our website, which is geek-network. And also, all our socials are geeksaz. And with that being said, always remember to geek responsibly. And there you have it. Thank you so much for your time. I do appreciate it. Thank you for having me. 